Uh, I would like for very much for you to turn, first of all, to Psalm 96, verse 9. And uh, Psalm 96, verse 9, is a very interesting verse. Um, in fact, most of these psalms dotted around uh, Psalm 96 uh, have a similar, a similar message that the theme comes through. If you read them all at once and you start to notice this, you'll, you'll be able to, uh, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's good to read more than one psalm at a time. You'll start to see the themes emerge. So here at Psalm 96, it uh, says this in verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Psalm 96, verse, verse 8. I'm about to read the one that I'm looking for. Verse 9 is the word that I want you to hear today. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Um, this verse actually means... Um, oh, no, don't even tell me my notes just went offline. Okay, better not. All right. Sometimes I have notes. Most times I don't. Today I need them. <laughs> okay. Um, this verse is speaking about uh, worshiping the Lord in the correct attire, in holy attire, in the splendor of holiness. I, I understand you could read this verse as saying, worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. But actually, the, um, the, the whole theme, the, the concept here is, it's a, it's a word to the priests who are coming to worship God saying, put on your Sunday best and come to the Lord in holiness. Bring a gift with you when you come, and uh, don't enter into his presence empty-handed. He is God. Give him the glory that is actually due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, as you know, I've been speaking uh, about this ancient way. It's, it's our theme, and it's kind of the theme for the next, I don't know, let's just say it's going to be the theme for the next 12 months. Everything's going to be tied back to this ancient way. I want us to return to the ancient way that has never changed. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through him, and we are only going to reach heaven if we follow the way markers that he's given. Okay, so I want to make sure that we're serving the right God and on the right way and well prepared for this. And as you know, this all comes out of Tammy uh, and my recent uh, pilgrimage on the Camino. So... Here's something we need to know about the way of worship. The way of worship has been the theme the last couple of weeks. The way of worship requires that we worship God in a way that is worthy of Him. Because He is glorious. Oh, magnify the Lord. Let us exalt His name together. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt the Lord together. Let's make him big, not because we can make God any bigger than he is, but we need to make God big in our estimation. Does that make sense? And when we come before God on a Sunday morning, because this is the gathering of the saints, this needs to be a place where God is magnified. Okay, Not diminished in our minds, but magnified. So there are some things that we as a church do that we're rather casual with. We dress up casually. It's not necessarily our Sunday best. Uh, although this has become my Sunday best. I'm pretty excited about these clothes, and I was excited that I could actually button it up without too much button stress today. But, but, uh, but we are pretty casual in our approach to God. There's no stained glass. We don't have big choirs and church organs and so forth to kind of set the tone for majestic holiness. Nevertheless, 
it is required of us that when we come into the presence of the Lord, we acknowledge that this is not just going down to Chuck E. Cheese on a Sunday morning or Chick-fil-A, okay? We are entering into the worship of the holy God. And I want to say that this is the ancient way. Now, we've been talking about Abraham in his, in his approach to God, and his, his approach to God was very, um, very casual in my mind. I see Abraham engaging with God, talking with God, even communing, communicating, uh, bartering with God, wrestling with him over uh, this and that. And I see a very beautiful, casual nature and personal nature to the relationship that Abraham has with God, which I think is the foundation for all of our worship. It needs to be. We cannot, we cannot have... A worship of God that is impersonal. There must be a personal, a deeply personal element to our worship. But if Abraham is the only example that we have of worship and we only ever do it Abraham's way, I think we will miss out on the revelation that we have after Abraham in the, in the worship leaders that God has given us throughout the passage of salvation history up until even now, today. There has been revelation upon revelation, God revealing from glory to glory what it means to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so we start with Abraham as a building block of our ancient way, as a, as a mile marker or a, or a, or a stone that, that, that sets the direction for the road, but it's not the only way. Otherwise, we run the risk of being very, um, very uh, close-minded. Uh, Abraham was about his family. That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. I said worship is a family thing. We've got to engage God as uh, individuals, and we've got to bring that to our family, and that's where worship really happens. Sunday morning is irrelevant if it doesn't actually mirror what we're already doing at home because God is not impressed by our Sunday morning best if our Sunday morning best is only on Sunday morning. Make sense? Okay, so moving on from that, I'd like to say that Abraham is a terrific building block, but we need to go a step further. Abraham was all about his family, but God is actually all about the whole world. And so there's this passage in Genesis 24, which we hopefully will get to today if I don't take too long in the introduction. But um, it, we'll see uh, the story of Abraham's servant being sent to get a bride for the son of promise. And how Abraham said, absolutely no, you are not going to choose a bride for my son. We are not going to choose a bride for my son from these people amongst whom we're living. And I want to talk a little bit about that, about how God's called us to be separate from the world. Uh, and, and so Abraham doing this, saying, no, we are going to make sure that the promised line is going to be continued in faithfulness and that there is not going to be a mix-up of the, of the agenda here. We're not going to bring in people who worship other gods into our family, we are going to stay pure to the Lord. This is an element of our worship which is absolutely critical. But at the same time, we need to recognize that Abraham's family is now made up of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation so that the exclusivity of Abraham's time in the sort of practical sense has now been exploded out into all the world. And Jesus has now invited us to go into all the world and include Gentiles and, uh, and, and, and pagans into the call, the invitation to come and return to the Father. Okay, so we need to talk about that. But at the same time, there is a level of holiness which is absolutely imperative within our worship 
that's part of the ancient way and actually ties in with what Tammy said with regard to you know, what the Lord was speaking to her about repentance and how God wants to bring transformation to our lives, not leave us where we were, but bring us somewhere else. And so Psalm 96, verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It becomes a very, very key part of our ancient way of worship. And, uh, and, but it's troubling, isn't it? It's confusing how to balance that, the holiness and, and still living on mission. Um, how do we, for example, tell our kids as we're raising our kids, look, we, we don't celebrate Halloween. Okay, now some of you may, okay, and that's okay because you have to do what is between you and the Lord. But for me and, and Tammy, Halloween was so countercultural. It was for us. It was like it was like devil worship. I mean, we came, we saw skulls everywhere, and we saw you know bones hanging, and people, and we saw Salem, Massachusetts, and witches and stuff. And we were like, oh God, no. We will worship Jesus only. So there was there was never any Halloween at my place. Lights were off. There was no candy at the door. We'd go away. We'd go for a walk on the beach or something. If we saw people coming down the road with the little kids all dressed up, we were like, turn off the lights. We are those people. <laughs> Some of you have driven by your houses recently, and they were decked out, man. You guys are like, you got the lights. You've got the moving you know, things and stuff. Okay, so for us as a family, that was a big sticking point. We were like, oh, no. Culturally, we don't get the relevance of that. We weren't raised in America, so give us at least give us that grace. Uh, but we don't see we don't see how this benefits the kingdom of God in any way. We cannot see how this is glorifying to God that we celebrate the Day of the Dead or we you know we give the one you know it's like it's like your pinch of salt to the devil you know no I'm, I'm we're not going to do that in our house. But of course, if the kids are going to go to school and everybody else is all dressed up and they come and they're not dressed up, then that that sets them out from that and makes them noticeable. And kids definitely don't want to be noticeable, especially in middle school, right? So they become noticeable because they're all cloistered in their little uniform or their you know, non-Halloween clothes and, and everybody else is all decked out like Frankenstein. So, so how do we do that? How do we stay true to a call for holiness in our lives, that's basically holiness is a separation unto God that is exclusively God's. We become God's people. We're, we're his. So, Lord, if this displeases you, I will not do it. How, how do we do that in a way that yet we're, we're still in the world? We're in it, and people are not, it's not about offending or not offending people, but people are not, are not put off from the message that we may have to offer because we're just so um, weird or proud or um, self-righteous, maybe. Does that make sense? And so uh, we could become very proud of ourselves that we have no Halloween decorations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, the concept, you guys get the idea, right? The concept here is how do we balance personal holiness and separation of our family from the things that make the world tick so that we can be clearly belonging to Jesus in every way and that, uh, and that our kids grow up with that full understanding and yet at the same time live a life that's attractive to the people in the world around us. Not attractive because we do the things they do only better. no. But because we have a fragrance, a fragrance of life that draws those who are, who are desperate to know. Uh, and, and not everybody is desperate to know yet. So anyway, 
worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness is the beginning of that journey. We have to begin with holiness in our worship. That's where it starts. I think it's hard to develop holiness as a family if we don't actually even have holiness in our approach to God himself. Does that make sense? So again, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe, what does ascribe mean? It means write it in, right? You're like inscribing, but ascribe is speech version. You're, you're saying God is glorious. God is splendid. So how do you ascribe to him? Well, when you see something that the Lord has done, you say, oh, wow, look at what God has done. You know, you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you look at that and you say, wow, look at what the Colorado River has done. Or you say, like my son did when he was little, nah, God did it. <laughs> <laughs> and you ascribe to God the glory that is due his name. So do that as a family. As we begin to show our families that God is glorious, then it will hopefully engender within their heart at least a, um, a, a respect for the authority and the power that God has demonstrated. So um, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Bring an offering. I think the ancient way is that worship always requires an offering. For us to come into God's presence nonchalantly without an offering, now, by the way, offering does not equal cash, although sometimes cash is a wonderful offering. There's a box on the back wall. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, an offering is something far greater than dipping into your wallet. An offering is something that is costly to you that you give to the Lord in gratitude. The ancient pagans would give to their gods in an attempt to barter or purchase. In the old covenant, even people would make vows to the Lord in the in the hopes that making a vow to the Lord would would make the Lord pleased with them and that he would then perhaps open up the windows of heaven on them. In the New Testament era, the Lord has already opened the windows of heaven on us. In Christ Jesus, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Therefore, it is not necessary for us to please God through our offerings to persuade him to give us more. He has already given us what we need. What we need now is the faith to apprehend what God has given. Does that make sense? So we do not offer our offerings in a way to please God that he might give us more. We bring our offerings because God is worthy of an offering. The motivation is very different. The ancient way of worship is always, should always, glorify God and make him worthy of our best. Of our best. And this is why it is important for families to, to teach within the family the concepts of tithing and giving the Lord the best. A harvest comes in and you say, ah, the harvest, the Lord has given us this harvest. Come, children, before we partake of this harvest ourselves, let us go to the house of the Lord with offering in hand and let us give this to the Lord in gratitude. For he is the one from whom it all comes and to whom it all belongs. And let us give it to him and honor him together. And that becomes a celebration as a family. And the sacrifice element of it is, is overshadowed by the tremendous joy of being a papa's house with something that he gave that you are now presenting to him. It's like going to one another's houses uh, to eat a meal, but you bring something with you when you go. 
You don't have to provide the whole meal. You've been invited to dinner. But what do you do? You bring, you bring the drinks, or you bring, a, you bring a salad, or you bring the dessert, or you bring some flowers or something. But you come with something special that's, that, that, that is meaningful. And the more the meaningful it is, it doesn't have to be more expensive, but the more meaningful it is, the, the more precious the time that you share and the lasting friendship that develops because of the generosity of spirit in your hospitality. Does that make sense? In the same way, we come to the house of the Lord, we need to do it with offerings. And so when you come with your children to church, the ancient way, if you want the glory of God to be manifested in your lives, which I believe he wants to do, then make this part of what you do. Abraham actually did this, and we, we, we listened last week, we heard about you know him bringing Isaac up on the altar, and that was certainly, <laughs> that was a, a ma major sacrifice. Um, uh, which God stayed his hand, of course. Um, but I encourage you once in a while to just, you know, to bind your children up, put them on the couch and get a knife and just pretend you're going I'm, to... I'm kidding. Don't do that. You'll get arrested. But <laughs> let your kids know that they are not the most important person in the world. God is far more important. And when it comes to priorities, God always has number one priority above them. So uh, when a kid's game happens to fall at the same time as your regular time to be in service with the house of, of faith, choose your priorities well. Choose your priorities well because you're teaching something in that moment. Your kids and your grandkids. If God is relegated to second place, uh, you may pay the consequences for that. Worship him in the splendor of holiness. Now, um, as we consider uh, the little time I have left, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I need you to see this. The call to holiness requires that we are separate from the world and from worldliness. And yet, we need to discover, as I said, how to be in the world and not of it. John uh, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and he prays regarding us. Um, first his disciples, but then anyone who believe in him because of the word of his disciples, which includes us, that we would be in the world, that we wouldn't be taken out of the world, but that we would not be of the world. I read a really good book recently. Um, uh, th that was challenging us because it says we are kind of of the world but not in it. Um, in this generation of, of Christianity, it's like we're, we're, we definitely have a lot of worldliness in our Christianity and we're of the world, but we are definitely not going into the world as ambassadors of Christ. It's like a, oh, it was a polemic. that it was a, it was a statement that hit me right in the heart and uh, it's supposed to be the other way around. We're supposed to be in the world but not of it. And how do we do that? How do we get into the world without actually being impacted by the world's system? And that's what the ancient way is all about. We've got to start, I believe, um, with the holiness of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and, um, and I want to read to you from verse 6, um, just a few verses here. It says, your boasting is not good. Context of the scripture, please read for yourselves. Uh, there is a context, um, but the scripture is good as a standalone as well. So let's listen to this. Your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Yeast, leaven, it leavens. Leaven leavens. There's a good so sermon title today, Greg. Leaven leavens. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may have a new lump. 
as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I had a conversation with a friend this week. Uh, we were talking about anger and anger management. And, uh, and he was distressed because he responded poorly in a situation. And, uh, and he, was, he was heartbroken about it because he hates that part of himself. And, I, and we were talking about how God challenges us as believers. And we, we can't stay where we were. Uh, when we come to Christ, something has to change. I mean, it's wonderful that we've been saved. As Tammy said, we, we've been saved. We're, the Lord has redeemed us and we are going to be with him forever. But God has a greater purpose than just our salvation. It's our sanctification that he is eager to demonstrate because he wants us to worship him in the splendor and the beauty of holiness. He wants us dressed in royal robes, in, in, in garments of white. That's our destiny, that we will glorify God in his presence with garments that are so pure white you couldn't wash them that white. They just, it's, God wants that holiness in us. And so uh, a friend and I were talking about this, how God in his grace does not allow us, when, when we become believers, he doesn't allow us to get away with the same stuff we used to get away with. It's been a longer conversation around my house. How come everybody else in the world gets to get away with this kind of stuff, but we never do? <laughs> my kids used to argue about that all the time. And we'd get on them about some you know, behavior and uh, when they were younger, of course. And, and, um, and we'd say, that is unacceptable behavior. And they're like, well, everybody else gets away with it. Well, how come we don't? Yeah. The reason is we're called to a higher standard in Christ Jesus. Remember this, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. That's what leaven does. It leavens the lump. And, of course, the, the, this passage is talking about the Passover. It's talking about uh, the, the, the festival, the, 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 the feast of Passover in which all leaven is removed from the house prior to the, the feast. And, and, uh, and then a celebration is made in that leaven is, is gone. It reminds us of the, of the, 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 the um the exodus out of Egypt and how none of the world was to come with Israel as they were carried across the waters of the Red Sea, how they were to leave behind the things of the world and be born again into a newness. And this is what, that was a foreshadowing of what happens in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we are baptized into the waters of baptism and that symbolically is the washing away of all that once was. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is the newness of life we're talking about. So if we are alive to Christ and dead to sin, then let's remove all the leaven because leaven leavens. If we allow that little bit of leaven in our lives, it will produce a greater effect than we even anticipate. It will ultimately permeate the entire batch. And so every little bit of, every little bit of unholiness will result ultimately in a falling away of some sort. And it may be that there's a lot of resilience in your family and that your relationship with Jesus is strong enough to where your kids don't fall away uh, or you don't fall away, but you may fall away in terms of your faith. You may no longer exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You may no longer desire to support uh, missions or to evangelize in your own local community because you have just simply fallen away because leaven leavens. So, your boasting is not good. I wrote to you in my letter, he says, verse 9, not to associate with sexually immoral people. In, in Corinth, this was a big deal. 
uh, I think it's a pretty big deal in our community as well. And maybe we don't associate so much with uh, sexually immoral people, but we certainly entertain ourselves with it quite a bit. I mean, even Tammy and I, we have a favorite show, and 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 you know, we hate the fact that every now and then in this show, uh, they just there's just this immorality that's demonstrated. It's not they don't it's not visual but it's it's all there implied and and this you know the storyline just can't be a storyline without including the stuff in there and leaven leavens my friends leaven leavens we have a choice to make uh, you know anyway it stick around eric long enough and you know that at least once a quarter he's going to rail against television from the pulpit <laughs> uh, and then it's going to be sports or politics something i'll rail against something you know there is good news in this message too, but let's carry on. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I think that's pretty standard advice, right? What comes next is a surprise. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Wait, what? what, 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 what wait, what's going on? Most often, churches pride themselves, we pride ourselves, in the ability to stay relatively morally pure. And we don't associate with the people that are immoral. But that's not actually what the word is saying. It's good that we don't have immorality in the church. That's what we need to be aware of. In our own families, in our own lives, and here in this household of faith, we need to watch and pray, lest these things infiltrate and become part of our DNA as a fellowship. But, listen to this. I didn't say that you should not associate with these people, because then you would have to go out of the world. How are we going to reach the people in the world if we are standoffish because of their immorality? We have to learn where the beauty of holiness is supposed to be. We have to clad ourselves in the garments of holiness, but we have to be willing to take those garments of holiness and go out into the street and actually put our arms around lepers or sinners, not soiling our garments in terms of our own moral purity, but not afraid to be associated with those who are dirty out there in the world. This is a very, very difficult thing to get our heads around. I just want you to know, I've been a pastor now for 30 years, 20 of them in this church. I'm still struggling with how to find the balance of this. If you've got it figured out, we need to sit and chat and have some coffee because you need to tell me how to do this better. I find that the longer I am a Christian, the more happy I am in the comfortable zone in which I live, not associating with people of the world who are immoral. And yet the scripture wants me to be reach out to those. Those are the ones that Jesus went to. Nevertheless, this is not like those this is not like those Christian artists who want to reach the world by singing secular songs. This is not that. Because oh, if we're like them, we'll reach them. This, this is not compromised Christianity. This is holy Christianity. We're worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We're holding to a strict standard of holiness and dedication to Christ in ourselves. But we are taking that light and that grace out into the world. 
Now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. This is where the church has to be faithful. The reason for it is not the reason for not associating with those who are hypocrites is not that we might ostracize the hypocrite, but that we might show through our judgment that the hypocrisy has been seen and that there is a better way. If we embrace their hypocrisy, like Peter did, by not eating with the Gentiles when the Judaizers were with him in Antioch, if we do that, then we are ourselves hypocrites. So Paul calls Peter out like this, and Peter repents and says, you're right, I'm trying to please the wrong people. There's a balance here. And Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Second Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is New Testament stuff, quoting the Old Testament, but this is New Testament teaching. The Apostle Paul, the, the, the preacher of grace, this is what he's teaching about personal holiness. Do you think that you can discern the difference between wanting to be approved by the world and therefore yoking yourself with unbelievers, the difference between that and loving the world and being amongst them as the light that shines, yet not partaking of their sin. Do you think that you can figure out how to do that? I think we can. I think we must. I think we must know the difference. We must know the difference between going into the world to be approved and identified by them and going into the world as the identity of Christ shining the light in their midst. There is lots to be gained with joining together with business partners uh, who may or may not share the same faith as you. If your business is a great model and, and it works well, I recognize that in that place, this is not necessarily a yoking together with unbelievers. A yoking together with unbelievers is a seeking of identity with them. So I think this applies certainly in a marriage, although Paul writes to the Corinthian church about, about people who are married to unbelieving spouses. And, uh, and he teaches them how to be witnesses through their lives, through the way that they behave, that they might even sanctify their, their unbelieving spouses. So I don't think this is a prohibition. Uh, certainly on marriages that currently include unbelieving spouses. Otherwise, we'd have to endorse some kind of divorce here. That, that's not what it means to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, although it could. 
And I certainly encourage you when you're, in, when you're talking to your children about the spouses that they're going to choose, I would reference the scripture and say, this is very, very important stuff. More important than you know. But I think it goes far beyond business partnerships and marriage. I think this goes into a, it goes into a, um, a motive of the heart. Why are you engaged in the world? Are you there for them to make something of you? Or for you to make something of yourself? Or are you there for Christ? And I'm calling you today to separate yourself out from them by identity. Separate yourself out to them and be a son and a daughter of God, of the Almighty God. And that has always been the ancient way. Always. I want to read, finally, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14 as just a gospel closure to this message. My time is up. Thank you so much for listening and, um, and for allowing me the freedom to just go all over the place today. Um, I want to read this as a sort of a final word uh, for the gospel's sake. Um, we can talk some more about this in a few weeks when I, I get back uh, from South Africa. We'll talk some more about this ancient way. Uh, with regard to holiness and purity and uh, and yet still living on mission. Um, a, a book I want to recommend uh, just recently um, uh, uh, advertised by the Gospel Coalition. It's called Evangelism as Exiles, and it's actually available for free. Um, there, there are plenty of places. I keep seeing it popping up on my Facebook as a free um, a PDF that you can download or, or an e-book. Uh, but the book is worth picking up if you, if you want it. You can always buy it from Amazon. Uh, Evangelism as Exiles. It's a fantastic, fantastic book. It really, really uh, works for our current theme. Anyway, um, mission is uncomfortable and it's humbling, but it's what we're called to. Abraham, his mission was to keep his family tight. Uh, Jesus came and he said, okay, tight family, I want you now to go into all the world. So we've got to have a little bit of both. What I'm talking about here is the exclusivity of belonging to God as a family like family of Abraham and not giving ourselves to the surrounding uh, cultures of the world, uh, but being separate unto God. At the same time, I'm talking the same message that Jesus had when he said, go you therefore into all the world and bring the gospel to them. Here is the gospel, Psalm 103. In verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Lord, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for this forgiveness which we cannot even truly fathom. We ask, Lord God, that you would teach us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. Guide us into all truth. Help us, Lord, to separate ourselves from the love of the world that we may find ourselves complete in the love of Christ. And yet, O oh Lord, empower us.
to be ambassadors, missionaries, light in a dark generation. I ask for your grace on this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.